So the ride and drive events that we do with, uh, um, you know, letting people come out and test drive vehicles, a lot of companies come out and show off their cars, and uh, they're all super nice. But the Rivian, yeah, that's a, it's, it's quite a vehicle. I've told you before about like solid state batteries. It's called a solid state battery because lithium ion has a liquid electrolyte and they're filled with this liquid that allows the electrolytes to move um, from the anode to the cathode and that sends a charge and then it moves in reverse when you're charging it. So the solid state batteries have a solid electrolyte they don't have any liquid in them and so that means that you can make them more energy dense uh, from things that i've read they can be anywhere from two to ten times uh, the energy density of uh, comparable lithium-ion batteries i saw a study that it's three times worse than drunk driving the amount of uh, time you're distracted like oh yeah like or um i don't know if that's completely i'll have i'll look it up but um yeah it's it's pretty bad how your eyes, they, they're tracking them. Mm. When you're looking at your touchscreen compared to you're looking at your phone, it's, it's the worst one. Yeah, you know, that twist like that and to get it aligned, he said, yeah, I can, but biggest mistake of my life. If you ever have the option to have your arm reset, take the anesthesia and don't have them do it really fast because that's the closest I've ever got from just like actually blacking out from pain. My name is Cody Ennis, and I am a PhD candidate in the mechanical engineering department at Tennessee Tech University, and I work mainly with electric vehicles under Dr. Ping and Chin. You had a conference pretty recently. Can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, so I just got back from uh, Jersey City. It was the MECC conference, and I was presenting a paper over um, speed profile optimization based off of dynamic programming. So it's basically if you have, you know, a group of leading vehicles on a route and you can have some uh, initial information about their speed and um, when they're going to be available on the same route as you, you can figure out the optimal speed profile to travel on that route in order to platoon with those leading vehicles and cut down on the aerodynamic drag resistance because, you know, electric vehicles, it's super important to extend their range and range anxiety plays a huge huge part in like buying electric vehicles or choosing like which trips to take with them if you have because a lot of people have internal combustion engine vehicles and electric vehicles in the same house and so by you know reducing that aerodynamic drag you can extend the range significantly since that's like the major uh, force acting against the vehicle on the interstate i read your paper and it was pretty heavy in math and equations so i appreciate having a high level uh overview of your paper what um what are some challenges in the range anxiety from an engineering perspective and also from a more human psychological perspective in your opinion i guess i'll start with like the the human like psychological level so you know, say you want to say you commute, you know, daily. A lot of people that I know commute between here, Cookville and Nashville. That's a pretty common one. And uh, that's, you know, around 100 miles. And so, you know, a lot of current uh, electric vehicles, they can comfortably get you to Nashville and back for your daily commute. And 
a lot of electric vehicles, even if they're not used for like long road trips and things, uh, people can still use them for their daily activities. And that's why a lot of people will have, you know, an internal combustion engine vehicle and an electric vehicle. But the big, a big step is trying to get it to where the electric vehicle can meet all of your needs, just like a current, uh, internal combustion engine vehicle. And that's sort of like the next step where it needs to go because if I'm going to take a trip to Florida, like an eight hour drive, you know, I'm going to have to stop multiple times to charge and the charging is going to take, you know, cumulatively, it's going to add up to hours added to my journey. That's already a long trip. And a lot of people just can't get past that barrier. You know, it, you can drive these vehicles long ranges. You just have to make a little bit of a compromise on, you know, how your trip's going to be planned out. And a lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people, it makes them kind of nervous. What if I can't find a charger? What if they're full? You know, all these ifs that can happen. And so as, you know, technology gets better and the range is improved, the infrastructure's improved, you know, I think it'll help people get over the psychological aspect of it. And they'll really come to see all the benefits that are sort of overshadowed right now by the limited range, you know. And from an engineering perspective, it's really mainly all about the batteries and you know i've i've told you before about like solid state batteries the batteries in an engineering perspective would be the main uh limiting component for these vehicles because they're they're safe and they have all these um you know advanced driving strategy or technologies in them ados systems so they're they're really nice it's called a solid state battery because lithium ion has a liquid electrolyte and so the liquid electrolyte it just allows for the um you know it's like a it's why you see battery packs that look sort of like capri suns you know and they're filled with this liquid that allows the electrolytes to move um, from the anode to the cathode and that sends a charge and then it moves in reverse when you're charging it so the solid state batteries have a solid electrolyte they don't have any liquid in them and so that means that you can make them more energy dense uh, from things that i've read they can be anywhere from two to ten times uh, the energy density of uh, comparable lithium-ion batteries and on top of that they're really flame resistant they're not supposed to catch on fire at all and so that's another big problem with lithium-ion batteries it's really hard to detect when they're about to catch on fire and then even when they do catch on fire it's not just like you can pour water on it you know it's it's really hard to put the fires out and even once they're out they can reignite you know so you really have to be careful with them and uh, the solid state batteries are also lighter and they should be able to charge faster um, i'm not sure what the charging technology is at right now with how fast they can get it to charge but i've read that they're trying to get it down to like 10 minutes for a full charge the main barrier is the for like range anxiety is if you forget to like charge your uh, car or like the range and the solid state battery can really change all that so i'm really excited to see what we could do with the big uh, adoption of solid state batteries in the future. So you were working on a project to see how replacement batteries can be added to the charging stations. So can you go in a little about that? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of times if you're really close to getting home, you say, and you have to 
stop and charge to get just an extra 10 miles of range or you want to go on a trip a short one to go to the grocery store but you don't have enough charge in your car currently and you, you just don't want to wait to make a small trip or you just need a little bit of extra energy so with this sort of design you would have a modular battery pack in your trunk that would have you know a few uh, lightweight removable batteries and whenever you go to a charging station you would take the batteries out of the back of your car, put them into a battery bank so they could begin charging, and then you would remove uh, the uh, modules from the battery bank that are already charged, put them in your car, and you would have instant charge, and you wouldn't have to wait if the chargers were taken or just for the time it takes for the chargers to charge your car. So that's sort of the, the idea about it is a little bit of a shorter range extension that you can you can get instantly and you don't have to wait for. Implementation of that would be challenging, but I think like innovation and innovative solutions like that are really required for mass adoption. Like we see that one of the main projects what we're doing is um, the rural outreach is where we're having charging stations brought to the rural communities and have them test Ford F-150s uh, with a um, jury-rigged EV system in them. So I really am looking forward to what we can do with increasing the outreach because right now I see a lot of pushback in EVs and, and I was definitely one of them in the past. So I'm really like changing my mind the last few years seeing some of the newer cars, the uh, Rivian, yeah, so the ride and drive events that we do with, uh, um, like, you know, letting people come out and test drive vehicles, a lot of companies come out and show off their cars, and uh, they're all super nice. But the Rivian, yeah, that's a, it's, it's quite a vehicle. It's pretty nice. Yeah, uh, I just came back from Austin and I saw a Hummer EV, and I was like, what was that thing? It was huge. Yeah. The um, the Rivian's really excited for, but also. Um, the Ford Mustang, that polarized about the name, and I don't really think it fits. And I know our uh, advisor, Dr. Chen, has one, but uh, do you have any opinions on <laughs> this car? Yeah, you know, uh, overall, I'll start with saying that, you know, I like the car. It's, it's a nice car, but I think, you know, the main... Uh, criticism I've heard from it is just the name they chose for it is, is a Mustang and it has the Mustang logo but it's obviously not a traditional Mustang body style it's more of a crossover uh, SUV type of style and you know I've never been a, a diehard Mustang fan or anything so personally I'm not too you know picky about it but I know a lot of people are the uh, Ford F-150 Lightning I saw one out here and that definitely still resembles F-150 truck mm -hmm. but yeah that Mustang it just it just bothers me that they're basically just using the name to bring attention and marketing to it I guess Ford really thought that uh, the Mustang name was worthy of being changed like that because I mean, when do you think of Mustang there's so much tradition behind it it kind of it kind of hurts well, you know, it, I mean, if their main goal is to sell cars and get people talking about electric vehicles and they don't want it to just, you know, be swept under a rug and ignored as some electric vehicle project that no one cares about. And so even, you know, uh, even though some people have you know negative views on it or, uh, you know, differing views, it gets it talked about. And, you know, it, it 
we're talking about it right now, aren't we? So it's it's how to how do you differentiate? You know, that gets us talking about that vehicle compared to any other electric vehicle right now. So it's sort of a good marketing strategy, in my opinion, for trying to, you know, increase you know notoriety for it. Yeah, that's true. It's just people, including me, that I plan on getting a, a classic ice car, mm-hmm. turn on combustion engine, and just keep it for as long as possible. I hope that they still continue to make fuel in the future because some of the um, some of the legislation about EVs are kind of unrealistic. Like you know, the 2035, they're not going to sell EVs in California. I don't know what um, any set in stone plans for the rest of the country is. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about some of the uh, push from the government or from industry to really cut down on? ice cars and is it even worth it so it's one of those things that you look at um the quality of electric vehicles currently as far as you know the vehicles themselves you know interior and exterior pretty much the same as a traditional vehicle maybe a little bit different style but the overall quality is the same but then there's another factor you know the the quality of life as far as just being able to drive and refuel and the convenience factor that the electric vehicles don't really have right now and the internal combustion engine vehicles you know whether you are all for electric vehicles or not you have to admit that internal combustion engine vehicles are way more convenient and they're just more capable right now as far as um, range and uh, quickness of refueling and uh, ease ease of use from day to day so but it's one of those things that the electric vehicles aren't going to get to where you need them to be unless you make a push and there's a lot of stuff that has to be pushed you know you have to push promotion of actual sales of the electric vehicles and that is because in order to increase the infrastructure to make it more convenient to charge make chargers more you know available you know you, you see how many there's i don't know how many gas stations in this town like 10 15 i don't even know but you can count on one hand how many charging stations there are and you got to think internal combustion engine vehicles are a lot more convenient but that's because number one you can just pump fuel into them and number two the infrastructure is set up for internal combustion engine vehicles electric vehicles don't have that yet and in order to get you know the proper amount of funding to build all this infrastructure you're going to need to show that people are going to buy these electric vehicles because you're not going to put out all this infrastructure without people actually buying the vehicles and so i think that's kind of what they're trying to do with this legislature they're not just trying to say you know internal combustion engine vehicles are bad you can't use them anymore we hate them it's it's trying to give this a little bit of momentum to help it grow faster and and that's that's sort of my opinion on like the uh, California's laws with internal combustion engine vehicles, whether it's really fair or good, you know, I guess time will tell how that plays out. But I, I can kind of see what they're going for, or at least what I think they're going for. Yeah, I agree in most part. One thing I'm interested in researching is the uh, amount of infrastructure that needs to be built by the time that they want to hit those goals. Because mm-hmm. if you look at, I don't know, here in Tennessee, so many, um, so much of the power is coming still from fossil fuels, coal power plants. Mm-hmm. There's some push for, you know, renewables, solar and wind, and some hydro when you can put it there. But I really hope the uh, 
the power that's powering EVs in the future will be as renewable or sustainable as the message of EVs of themselves that you're driving a car that has no emissions. Mm-hmm. And if your emissionless car has a charger that's coming from a coal power plant, I kind of see some contradiction in that. You know, um, just to expand on that a little bit, you know, it's it's a lot of people like to take two sides on uh, the zero emission aspect of electric vehicles. Some people will say, oh, yeah, it's it's perfect. You know, no more emissions. It's great. The climate climate change is, you know, it's canceled. Don't worry about it anymore. And there's other people that say, oh, well, it's actually worse because of the upstream energy production. You know, you're still using coal and all this. And I can confidently say that it's not worse, you know, because internal combustion engine vehicles are only like uh, like gasoline uh, power vehicles are usually around 23% efficient at converting fuel into, uh, you know, usable energy to move the vehicle forward. Uh, whereas electric motors are 90% efficient and a big coal power plant is going to be a lot more efficient at generating and storing energy than your car is going to be at using it from your tank of gasoline. And what electric vehicles are doing, they may not be completely solving, you know, an emission uh, problem, but they are creating a foundation for it to be solved. So once, you know, electric vehicles are adopted and they surpass internal combustion engine vehicles, then you can start working on the power grid as far as working on nuclear energy, solar, wind, you know, renewable, because it it lays out the basis for an emission-free transportation platform from energy generation to the usage of the energy and everywhere in between with zero emissions. Again, it's not there yet. And that's an even more ambitious goal than getting people to adopt electric vehicles and making them more, you know, uh, comfortable for people to use and have less range anxiety and things like that. But it's looking long term, they present the beginning of a solution to a problem. It's pretty brilliant, I think, that the throttle response from an ICE car to the output, which is like your wheels. Mm-hmm. There's so many systems that, you know, have to convert the position of your throttle and then it goes through uh, a butterfly valve to check how much air is going into the intake and create power. For an electric vehicle, when you push down the, the pedal, it just sends a sine wave into the motor and then that motor directly translates that into rotational energy. It's, uh, it just, I just think it's, it's very clever that there's so many, um, that's the reason why the controls is so important mm-hmm. for electric vehicle is all, the, the throttle response is electric and then the output is coming from electric motor and all the uh, automatic you know, lane keeping and self-driving technology mm-hmm. that all bound able builds on the foundation of your, your throttle. And that's something that I'm really interested in and excited about for future electric cars. What do you think about self-driving in general? You know, self-driving is pretty cool. And that's one of those, um, it's one of those topics that I'm sure that, you know, Tesla or even Ford from these conferences I've seen where, um, people will, have been going back and forth between universities and and companies both and there's plenty of examples of very very capable autonomous vehicles at this last conference there was a uh chinese uh, graduate student and i forgot what university he was from but zufei told me it was like the top one in china and <clears throat> their presentation was over a fully autonomous 
bus and they had a like 15 minute video of it out on the road picking up people and dropping it off like just on the streets and there was no driver and it, it could handle very large and complicated um, roads and not just you know it's not just driving down you know a rural country road like in Cookville it's it's in the middle of a city doing this and the the problem with it becomes what are you willing to accept as a as an acceptable level of error with with these systems you know I think it's something like in the high 90s uh, percent of vehicle accidents are are caused by people it's people's fault driver's fault and you know with these autonomous vehicles you can get them to where they're 99 percent you know they handle 99 percent of the situations that you would see uh daily but then there's always a what if kind of factor and that's where it's really hard to make a really robust uh autonomous and self-driving feature because there's always going to be that one scenario that you don't plan for and then something bad is going to happen if someone gets killed who's liable it's the people that make the you know self-driving car or feature of it and so that's pretty pretty scary to have to put something out there like that where you're driving people around in a pretty dangerous environment and on top of that you know I think when there's more autonomous vehicles on the road, it's going to be easier to implement them. So it's going to be like an exponential kind of growth. You know, it's going to start out slow and it's hard because the vast, almost all vehicles on the road, you know, are, are driven by people. And so whenever you're driving, if, if, if it was all autonomous vehicles, you could have a pretty good idea of, of what they're going to do in what situation. I'm sure you understand just from driving through town, you know, you're like, I have no idea what some of these people are going to do. I, there's no rhyme or reason. They just do it, you know, and they make mistakes. They make mistakes a lot. But, you know, you as a person can see them making a mistake. You can see them approaching a, a, a traffic signal and they're going too fast and you can tell, oh, they're going to run that red light. I need to stop. It's like, how do you get all of these um you know, you and you can you could be able to tell that if you had the information on all the vehicles, how fast they were, how you know far away they were from the intersection, and if they had time to stop or not. But that's another thing they need to be connected to have that sort of information. So I think it has potential, but that's I think that's a really lofty goal for you know the the real implementation of of full self driving. And there's some companies doing it, like Einride. They're a shipping company, a trucking company that's using fully autonomous vehicles that don't even have a cab for a driver. They are just, uh, they remote monitor them. And they're doing some uh, test runs with, their trucks are on the road now, and they're doing some test runs with different companies to, you know, get more data and improve it. But I, I think, I think in my lifetime, I'll see uh, a good amount, if not full adoption of self-driving vehicles just not really soon that's probably more of like a like a 40 to 50 year type of situation it's a weird thought to have both self-driving and then human driving cars on the road at the same time because one thing like from a programming challenge Mm. is programming human motivation and errors and just split second decisions like the amount of challenge having like human consciousness 
you can program into a, a self-driving uh, car is, I don't know how they would have to tackle that without just saying, we're not gonna even focus on that until almost every single car is gonna be electric and then we're not gonna worry about the, the niche of the, stuff, the people that are still driving uh, their own cars. And that's also brings up another other issues, you know, about um, who's liable if the car that you you aren't personally driving gets into an accident, or um, what the priority is if it's gonna decide to try to self-preserve the the driver and the car if it has like other um, you know, have different variables coming at it. I, I don't know how the legislation is gonna be a part of that, or if uh, there's gonna be. Uh, the companies are going to have an agreement or if it's just going to be a wild west free for all mm -hmm. yeah and you know again that's one of those hard hard questions that i don't really think has a no one knows the definitive answer of that right now some some people may have strong opinions on it but no one could no one could tell you how that's going to play out i don't think anyone has that sort of foresight right now yeah <clears throat> I see like Tesla uh, advertising their full self-driving uh, package. That's an option for, I think it's close to 10K right now. Yeah. And um, I, I don't want to say it's false advertising, but uh, that if you, I'll put a, a little link up here for the different levels of autonomous driving where level five is basically you don't, you have no impact at all. And level zero is you're still driving it yourself and there's various levels between. But um, I, I still think that level five is where, where like you said, like a couple decades away from a complete uh, insular network of self-driving cars talking to each other, being able to completely manage their uh, motivations. Yeah, and I think it'll pick up, you know, development on this will pick up a little bit now. Now the electric vehicles have, have sort of proven that you know hey uh, big automakers we're not just a fad you know we're not just a gimmick like they saw tesla's success and tesla you know had a market cap evaluation that was higher than like all the other major uh automakers combined and you can't just ignore that so you you have to respect you know where the market's going you know where the the money is moving and so you can see that in these and these conferences I go to, a lot of times they'll have industry people come in and talk to us, and all these automakers are pumping billions of dollars into electric vehicles, uh, autonomous vehicles, all this new technology and research, and it's really impressive with some of the some of the work that they're doing. And uh, I think now that you know Tesla has shown success, I think that that definitely helps, uh, you know wake everyone else up like oh okay we got to get some skin in the game here you know and that little bit of competition is going to help really drive innovation and you know competition always always is a good thing for the consumers whenever it's the companies doing the competition because it can you know not only lower prices but just make the actual product better because a lot of people were complaining about some some things with tesla's feeling sort of cheap like some of the plastics that they use and the they yeah the manufacturing quality not necessarily the software or like the motor per se you know the the battery the motor and the software are all you know pretty top tier but the a lot of the uh, paneling wouldn't be lined up perfectly or it feels sort of like some stuff would be plastic that shouldn't be plastic and yeah. i'm sure with the with the higher end models that gets a little bit better um yeah i, I heard uh elon say that the 
biggest challenge isn't the design or the theory, but the manufacturing process to bring an idea into paper. And I just drove by the Gigafactory in Austin. And mm-hmm. it's, it's an impressive building. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. And this is a drone video that they did. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a, it's going to pop up right here. Okay. It's going to, it's, you just, you just have to watch it. But, um, I also heard, uh, Eric Weinstein, he's a, a PhD. Uh, he said that Tesla is a battery company that makes cars, and also a lot of the car manufacturers are really focusing on software right now to handle some of the hardware. Like, you know how a lot of the uh, cars have big screens instead of HVAC controls now? Yeah. Uh, one thing I heard, the theory was, if you don't have um, the physical controls, then you don't have to manufacture or design any of that user input. You can just have a big screen that controls everything. So you, it's only it's a software issue at that point. You don't mm-hmm. have to go through all the quality control, how many you know life cycle tests, and how many clicks you have. Yeah. You just have a screen. Mm-hmm. Which, in one sense, it's probably going to be expensive to replace something like that. On the other hand, uh, from the uh, you know the accountant's point of view, it really solve a lot of problems yeah well hopefully you know you wouldn't have to replace it and uh, if you do replace like the the screen portion of it then that's like all of it's replaced so even if a bunch of stuff messes up then you replace that screen then it's fine because with a normal car a lot of people like the the buttons and the tactile feel of turning a knob to increase the volume or pressing the button on the actual dashboard but you know I, i think with the way that the way that they're going with sort of a minimalistic feel and the touchscreens, <clears throat> it kind of makes sense in a vehicle because you don't really want a lot of distractions. But I say that, and then I get into these these new vehicles, and yeah, so you know, I I drive like a a, a cheap twenty twelve Hyundai Sonata, and it's just real, just a basic car, you know. And the fanciest thing that thing has is Bluetooth in it, but really? uh, yeah, so I. I I drove to Knoxville this past weekend to stay with some friends and I drove my mom's uh, 2021 Chevy Traverse and man, the difference in quality between, you know, 2010 and 2020 in vehicles is amazing. But I found myself almost like overwhelmed when just trying to to use like uh, Android Auto to find my find my route and there were almost like too many settings you know and and everything's on that dashboard and i kept just feeling drawn to it to try and like mess with all these settings and mess with all these different things and so that's that's one thing to keep in mind because i know tesla too showing me all these settings you know it's not a bad thing because you can always change these settings when you're parked and everything but there's something to think about you know you have these nice big touch screens that look really nice. They have all these nice animations on them and designs. And it's like, why are you trying to get me to look at this, yeah. you know, so much? Or like you know, 80 on the freeway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so interesting to get into it on that from the, um, like you said, like you're drawn to it. Like we're programmed at this point. If you have a smartphone, like, like a Pavlovian response to go to the touch screen, mm-hmm. you know, you, you they're designing animations, trying to make it look pretty. I don't know if they're designing it to be functional, but hmm. it's, if you have to go through you know, 10 menus to get to what you want to go to while you're trying to drive and you, you want your, like, your heat on if it's cold mm-hmm. winter, it's not really a... I saw a study that it's three times worse than drunk driving, the amount of uh, time you're distracted. Like, oh, yeah. Like if, 
or um, I don't know if that's conclusion. I'll have I'll look it up, but um, yeah, it's it's pretty bad how your eyes they, they're tracking them. When you're looking at your touchscreen compared to you're looking at your phone, it's it's the worst one. Yeah, you know that that reminded me of uh, <clears throat> you said that you know tracking your eyes and stuff. Like I remember, I, I can't remember if it was Tesla or what car company this this was, but you know I know I do know that Tesla. You have to have like your hands like touch the steering wheel a certain amount of uh, times um, per like minute or per hour or something to keep the car going, and uh, it's. Uh, how whatever highest level of autonomy that it has level four i think is the highest one that you can actually get right now to be on the road with and people would take like uh clamps and put them on the steering wheel and there was there was one that you know they were a car company was trying to do this thing where they would track like your eyes to make sure you're looking at the road and they would like give you a notification if you weren't and this one was more of a joke but someone like put a string with two ping pong balls on it to try and try and fool it so, you know, people are all, that's another thing with, with these, with really any new technology that you make, and especially one that could be as dangerous as a vehicle, there's always going to be people trying to cheat the systems that you put in place for safety. There's always going to be people that, you know, you can buy, you can buy the things that are like, uh, the seatbelt clicker without the actual seatbelt. So you just click it in and so then it, yeah, it'll tell the car that it's buckled, but you don't actually have a seatbelt buckled. And it's like, people do this stuff against their own best interest and they are there's plenty of information and i'm sure they're well informed of the safety of seat belts but they just don't want to wear them and stuff like that so there's always going to be pushback with no real um and that, that's the same thing with uh arguments against electric vehicles in my opinion you know you don't have to buy an electric vehicle you don't have to like electric vehicles but being completely against them as as some some people are it, there's really no basis for it in my opinion because it's not hurting anything or anyone and it's just trying to solve a problem in the world so yeah they may not be perfect right now but nothing's perfect right away you know it, it takes time yeah i used to be one of those people that was like oh no the ev's coming they're gonna kill all our uh, high revving sports cars um I'm still planning on getting a, a Porsche GT3 and just try to keep it as long as possible um, in the future. Maybe uh, change the fuel system to take E85 so I can besides that in my backyard <laughs> in case uh, they stop selling fuel. But yeah, um, I, I think my opinion now is if we want EVs so that we could keep EV, uh, ICE cars as long as possible, because if they're going to um, stop selling fuel or if there's a like a limited amount of fuel and why wouldn't you want every other car to be uh, a EV if they don't really want to drive a gas car and waste potential fuel that you could be driving yeah. um, that's kind of a selfish reason amount of manufacturing techniques or design that you know cars like you talk about Tesla's manufacturing quality mm. um, I, I saw the new Lucid have you looked at that? Yeah, before? yeah. We talked about Rivian before, but I mean, they they looked incredible. I was just at the uh, Circuit of Americas for the US GP, mm. and um, there was just lucid air that was just it, it, the road presence that it had. It was it was incredible. It doesn't look like anything that is out there right now. Well, you know, I uh, 
to speak on that point, you know, I just saw the Nissan Leaf that I'm going to be doing that modular battery project on. Uh, I think Max was driving around just to, you know, get it moving, not have it be sitting for a long time. But that's a 2015 Nissan Leaf. And you can definitely tell, like, these electric vehicles, when they first started coming out, everyone was trying to be like, all right, let's make them look futuristic, sort of, you know, let's, this is a new thing. This is the next big thing. So we want to make them look, you know cool and new and unique and a lot of them just ended up looking super ugly like the 20 the early models of the nissan leaves with the big bulging like bug headlights or it's horrible i don't know what they were thinking and then at some point they sort of shifted and there's still some cars that make it look kind of they look kind of wonky you know not really traditional but they look they look all right for the most they don't look bad but most of the electric vehicles like you can see with the the ford the f-150 and you know that one's super popular just looks like a truck and they were you know i think they finally the automakers finally got it in their head well some people are hesitant towards electric vehicles and uh the nissan leafs the original ones were super ugly and so what if we just make them look like normal vehicles but nice and electric and i think they've had a lot of success with that and you know they they can go you know they modify them a little bit from there add some you know nice new features to highlight the electric aspect of it but for the most part you don't have to it's like you don't redesign the wheel it's like okay yeah so you have a different fuel source and it's a lot simpler mechanically to work you don't got to make it look crazy just make it look nice you know like a nice clean vehicle and then people will want to buy it you know and that also helps ease the transition between you know buying an electric vehicle and an internal combustion engine vehicle for a lot of people if they see that the two vehicles are oh you know a lot of people get in them and be like wow this is just like my car except it's new and really nice so it's it's i think it helps with how uh they're being manufactured now and how they're meant to look with helping people be more comfortable with them yeah, there was one uh, F-150 Lightning here. Um, I think it was just one of the uh, employees here. Mm-hmm. But it, it was basically just F-150, but instead of having a big V8 in the front, or if you uh, like having an EcoBoost, mm-hmm. instead of, it has a big battery pack on the bottom. Everything else is basically the same. There was pretty cool, uh, basically the same car if you sit in it, and then you sit in your old uh, uh, internal combustion engine car. Like, the familiarity is there and it's it's comforting that it's all the buttons are where you want them to be your seat and your, your driving position it's it, it eases the, the fear and the transition to getting in, uh, more mass adoption of EVs and like even though I kind of do like the uh you know the retro futuristic uh feel that they're definitely um going for um I think there's going to be a market for both, like there's going to be the early adopters that want the crazy Tesla Roaster or the Lucid Air or the Ruby, even the Rivian. I, at first I didn't like the, the little... The uh, like oval, like up and down vertical ovals. Yeah, yeah it kind of looks like an anime character or something. Mm-hmm. But there's And then there's going to be the market for, I, I want a car and it doesn't need to be, I don't have no preference over internal combustion engine or EV and... Like I said, there's so many creature comforts of having um, no road noise from mm-hmm. the engine. Like there's so much vibration coming from you know when the cylinder spin. It's never going to be perfectly still. No matter what configuration you have, you have a V8 or a flat plane, even or a straight. So the EVs, if you've never been in one, like 
it's so very comfortable. It's pretty much the perfect city-going car if you don't have to go very far. And yeah, it, I mean, I, I we talk about you so much, but even though I love ice cars, I, I I'm really looking forward to um, I don't know a future where we can have very high quality, high uh, range EVs. Yeah, you know, I, I like ice cars too, but uh, unfortunately, I. Uh, I'm a poor graduate student, so I don't get to play with the nice ones. And I, you know, I, my grandfather, he works at GM's headquarters in Michigan, and he loves cars, and he rebuilds, like, classic muscle cars in his free time. Sorry. Specifically, which uh, what cars? Oh, the last time I went up there, he had a, the, he had a 68 Mustang that was one that I remember, and then a, a 70 Cuda, and oh, nice. th- those two are the only two that I specifically remember, but, oh, and he had, uh, I mean, he just likes to play with, he had like eight total, and his favorite was a, uh, I went up, this, I went up there in 2016, and this was a, he had a 2012 Tahoe, and he completely took out, like, the engine and put in a V8 Corvette engine, and it, it completely ridiculous and, and overkill, but you step on a, if you floored it in that thing, it would just lift you back. It would, it was crazy. That's a real Yeah. And it, it was, it was super fun to, to play with. It got like eight miles per gallon. It was ridiculous. Fun. But I mean, cool. yeah. It, pictures, yeah. I, I actually I lost the phone that I had all the pictures I did I took a picture of like everything up there but I lost all of my pictures on my phone that sucks so but yeah it's definitely cool that he worked at uh, in GM I, I don't know if he has any opinions on the Mustang if they're, <laughs> they're messing up yeah I, I haven't asked him about that yeah what, what, what is his opinion what do you think his opinion would be on what you use you know I, I was talking to him whenever I was thinking about Whenever I graduated here, you know, I was pretty sure I wanted to get a master's degree. And then Dr. Chin offered me, uh, when I was working on my master's, my master's was actually in internal combustion engine. Uh, I was working on, I was in the middle of writing a paper about uh, selective cylinder deactivation, where if you don't have a heavy load and you're just coasting on the interstate, you can shut down three of your six cylinders. And because you don't need them if you're not towing anything you're just coasting and then that would be more fuel efficient but halfway through uh getting that master's he offered me a you know the direct to phd and it would be over electric vehicles and working with you know controls or efficient driving strategies you know but just electric vehicles in general and uh i brought that up to uh his name's dan and so i brought it up to dan and you know he said that GM was pretty much going all in on electric vehicles with like research and development type money. So what you would be using with a PhD, because, you know, if you think about it, how much more can you optimize these internal combustion engine vehicles? They've been around for so long and there's been so much, so much science and, 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 you know, and, and work. Yeah. Research put into them they're about as efficient as, as they're going to get. And that stems from, you know, how, how you said going from the throttle to the, to the, or the, the user input to the power output of the vehicle, you know, you press on the pedal and then all these different things have to happen in the internal combustion engine vehicle. And even then when you just get down to a very high level understanding of it, the pistons go up and down and the wheels 
go like this. So, you know, you got to take the energy going from one direction and, and translate it to another direction. You have to have all the gears to have different gear ratios and efficiency losses through every single translation. Yeah. And so it's, it's, there's not that much more you can, you can really do about it. And electric vehicles, you know, again, that's with the instant torque is nice. You press on the pedal, electrical signal gets sent and then the motor spins. And so the motor is also, you know, just a big magnet that you have in line with your wheels. So whatever way the motor is spinning, it's just directly, it can directly like transmit that, that energy to your wheels. And that's how you get like 90% efficiency with the, with the electric motors, which is super average, nice. Uh, efficiency does an average uh, ice, uh, say uh, petrol and then diesel. Gasoline sits in the low 20s you know low to mid 20s and diesel sits higher at like uh i believe like 30 in the 30s around there so diesel is a little bit more uh efficient and you can get more uh you know torque out of it more power out of it but it's a little bit more expensive and that's uh, efficiency based on the energy density of fuel versus how much energy is coming out of it yeah so it's like the amount of usable uh energy that you can transmit to your wheels versus like per unit energy of fuel that you have stored yeah 20 percent. that's a that's a pretty low number yeah yeah so, compared to uh ev which is um, like you said like close to 90 mm-hmm. and and you know that kind of shows how uh energy density has a huge room to grow because if you're only getting 20 percent efficiency out of your gas tank you know you're still able to go 400 miles in, in most vehicles. So with electric vehicles, I think the average is sitting at around like 200, 220, somewhere around there. And perfect driving. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, it's not terrible, but it's not great. You know, it's enough for, it's it would be enough for if I wanted to, you know, just stay in my city for a day and do my you know daily needs but for longer trips it's still just not there yeah yeah i drove to um to los uh, angeles this year from nashville and then i drove uh, i just came back from austin and the amount of times i had to stop i can't imagine stopping for you know hour and long four hours a couple hours just to uh, charge my car and then it'd take like a day trip to like you have to stretch it out. You're going to add multiple days mm-hmm. based on how long you have to wait, which is why I'm excited about solid state batteries, the amount of uh, improvement in charging times that they're going to have. Um, so, yeah, that, we talk about EVs a lot, and I appreciate it because I, don't know, I feel like it's still the, kind of a, a boogeyman topic mm-hmm. at this point, but um, that's what we've been working on for, well, you've been working on for a long time, which is definitely um, appreciate your expertise so i was um after my sophomore year i had a 4.0 gpa and i was going for an interview with this metal forming plant in kentucky and um the guy you know he looked at my resume and everything and you know i i called him he, he well he called me and we had a phone interview that was very brief just to uh talk to me and he said you know everything on your application looks great and you know it looks you look perfect but i'd like to have you come up and meet with me and have uh you know an in-person interview just to make sure you know 
you're not like one of those like super socially awkward and you can actually hold a conversation and because you know it's sometimes he said he'd had to he'd had interviews with people with like perfect resumes almost overqualified for the job and he'd have to pass up on them just because they could barely even hold a conversation with them at all and the job uh, at, at, at hand you know it was very important to be able to relay information between people in a very you know concise and understandable manner and so you know that's that's another engineering is uh it's not all just math and, and science there's it's important to be able to what what good is it you know if you if you have all this research work and you can't tell someone what it means or you can't you know and, and not just at a conference but like your boss like i'm probably going to go into industry when i graduate so it's you know it's a useful skill for me to have public speaking and be able to convey to you know in a technical sense to my peers and also in a more layman's terms to someone like a boss at a company that may just want you know the the numbers of how it uh how it helps and not exactly why you know it was like hey this increases our efficiency by 10 percent, and they'll be like okay that's great you know and and just that was a very that was a bad example that was pretty silly but you know what i mean yeah yeah i don't know why stem in general attracts people i I guess it's like kind of a trade-off major Mm -hmm. but like the uh the amount of engineers or engineering students that i've met is, is definitely higher in the terms of like being more introverted or not really um being as social like, yeah yeah just being able to sit down and be just like if you went out to dinner with them it's like you don't know what you would talk about like you just kind of be sitting there you know and and a lot of that is is more of uh that i've i've found the more people that i actually am open my you know open myself with them and just relaxed around them and talk to them a couple times the more you know, normal they come across. You know, they don't see someone reserved at first. I think it's more of a surface level type of apprehension uh, or standoff. Yeah, it's more, it's more, a little bit more reserved at, at first. But most people, you know, if you really get to talking to them and they're not just weirdos, and then yeah. they're fine. But I'm sure they're thinking about something interesting. Like one thing I heard was the difference between introverts and extroverts. The the, the extroverts they live they're uh, most of what's going on is in front of them. So like mm-hmm. they, uh, they live externally, they like uh, having experiences and uh, talking to people where introverts there, a lot of what's going on, they're focused more internally. They're, mm-hmm. They think more introspectively and they are a little more um, difficult to break down the, uh, the barrier for like mm-hmm. having the initial interaction and getting past all the, you know, the small talk and, oh, hi, how are you? Who are you? Uh, yeah. Are you are you a normal person? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's definitely interesting, like, some of the people that I've met that, mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm trying to, like, see who I want to talk to. And mm-hmm. there's definitely people that are very interesting, but also I don't know how good on camera they would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I think it'd still be interesting to, like, mm-hmm. talk to someone, like, very in-depth that, is very into something, but are a little hard to like, you know, get to that point that right. they're, um, they're comfortable. Yeah. You know, I think I, I would consider myself introverted to be honest. I'm not very extroverted, but I had to, you know, in my undergraduate, I worked at 
uh, Planet Fitness here for three and a half years. And so being behind that desk and having people come up and working with the general public for that long, you know, you get pretty good at, at uh, talking to all types of people. And you're kind of, I kind of like got for, I got forced like to talk to people and it made me better at it and more comfortable with different types of people. And you know, so I'm just a little bit more relaxed in general. Yeah, uh, I have a similar experiences where I work as like a receptionist. I took uh, people's name badges at a, a corporate office, mm-hmm. and definitely, um, like I'm also pretty introverted. But at this point, like so much of the, I guess it is work experience, right? Yeah, um, that makes you like it's talking to a stranger because to talking to your friends is easy, but yeah. like. Is being able to like if you have worked a service job or if you've done something like like you said like a front uh, desk mm-hmm. that is that is not <laughs> not easy for no. people. Yeah, and you're just sort of forced forced to have these conversations because it's part of the job, you know. And but it does end up easing the transition between uh, talking to friends and talking to just random individuals, and sort of makes it more. Uh, you know, uniform, the way that you uh, approach people and speak to people. Yeah. I feel like it can kind of make you be yourself more a little bit. Yeah. It's a different part of you that you get to, like, train. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's kind of, you can kind of compartmentalize that. Oh, I'm just, I'm just this guy right now. I'm just playing a role. I'm not, I don't have to be myself and, like, oh, who are you? Like, we're, we're just having, like, a, a transactional conversation. Mm-hmm. Not really, um, having you're not really that interested they're not interested that much in you and you're not interested in them so we let's get this transaction over with and we can get on our day yeah but, um, uh, so uh, when you came back from the conference we ran into each other at the gym mm-hmm. and, yeah, we, we talked about how you were uh, working at Planet Fitness so your stabilizers aren't very good oh yeah tell me about uh, yeah, and, uh, how long you lifting like your, your fitness? Yeah, so I, you know, I started weightlifting my freshman year of high school because I was playing football, okay, yeah. and I stopped playing football because I kept getting concussions. I had three concussions in two years, and a broken arm also. Which arm? My right arm. And did you did you do surgery? No, I've broken my right arm three times, but I've never had to have surgery on the arm. So, and it's all just been from sports, and yeah. I was. Um, you know, really skinny whenever I started playing. Like, I was the same height that I am now, about 5'8", five, 5'7", five, five, and I weighed, like, 115 pounds. And so I was uh, kind of getting, you know, pushed around a little bit in, in a lot of the sports that I played. But then I just stopped playing the sports and kept working out, and so I was able to put on, like, you know, about 50 pounds of muscle. And it's, you know, it's nice. So... Yeah, I had similar experiences um, when I was in like eighth grade and like at the summer from uh, middle school to high school. They had the weight room open. And mm-hmm. We had like a little feel of all right. Every night you're gonna do I forget how many push ups. You're gonna do push ups, sit ups, squats, and then you're gonna have a, a glass of milk and PB and J before you go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, just because they wanted us because we're skinny little you know eighth graders, mm-hmm. twelve or thirteen years old, and. <laughs> Yeah. You gotta put on that mask because when uh, when I got into uh, high school, our our school just won uh, this conference uh, championship, and mm. we had some like monsters on our team that like you know can, 
I don't know how 18 year olds can bench like 400, 500 pounds. Yeah, and it sucks at that age because some people can bench press like 400 pounds and then other kids can bench press 80. Or they can, like, yeah, they can barely be starting at a bar. Yeah. And, like, well, by the time I'm like, I, th- I think I like, by the time I was finished with uh, freshman year, I could do a one plate. Mm-hmm. But like, at the beginning, I was like barely doing the bar with like 90, like 95 pounds and 220. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and that's a lot of people, you know, and when you're going into high school and you're a freshman and you're not just a naturally like big person then you're putting you're putting a little tiny 10 pound plate on each side and you're getting your 10 reps and then you're man i'm sore yeah yeah time for my peanut butter sandwich and and glass of milk oh yeah the chocolate milks every day for like years i still remember yeah but you know my stabilizers are just gone they're just non-existent anymore and so i've been throwing on 135 on incline and flat bench press and just repping it until I can't rep it anymore just to try and, you know, build up those smaller stabilizer muscles because the actual weight itself is, like, pretty easy to push. I'm just shaky, you know. Yeah, that, do you ever get nervous when you're benching? Do you bench with a partner? I, I'm solo in there, and that's why I just keep the 135 on there. And, I, you know, it, it kind of sucks because, you know, it's good to, like, push yourself and go to failure, but eh, I want to work out a little bit more with a free with a with a barbell bench press instead of a Smith machine to get to there. Yeah. So tell me about um, by the time you're done with high school and you started doing a, uh, going to Planet Fitness. Tell me about like the like how Planet Fitness like kind of changed your your routines and all that. So you know I stopped doing uh, Olympic lifts like power clean because obviously they don't have the equipment for that yeah they don't have barbells and another thing was that i actually broke my arm one time doing power cleans because my spotter had left me on my last set of my last rep or my last rep of my last set and i what do you mean he left you like he just walked out walked out from behind me because you know we had spotters this was in high school and we had spotters where you know you do your power cleans they'd be standing behind you and so they would catch you if you fell back and sort of like stand you back up and so i can you uh just do the, the motion yeah yeah right so you you're like down on the ground and you stand up with it and sort of whip it like this and crouch under the bar to catch it right here and i had uh i'd gotten it up you know i'd caught it but i'd sort of like pulled it too hard against me and so i fell back and what you're supposed to do is you throw it forward to get it away from you yeah, and then you fall backwards yeah and then you fall backwards and and you're fine without the weight on top of me. i fell all the way back and i landed with my arm on the ground like this and the bar right here uh, so it kind of torqued it yeah and it, it broke uh the i can't remember the <clears throat> the name of the two bones which one is which but it broke the bigger of the two bones in my arm and sort of wrapped it uh, there was a big bulge on the bottom of my arm and a big bulge on the top. And uh, I went to the doctor and he said, yeah, I don't know how they didn't just bust out of your arm. Like, and the the silly part is that the breaking it wasn't even too bad, you know, you know, relatively speaking, because even when the adrenaline stopped it. Yeah. So the, the adrenaline kicks in. It's crazy because for the first 10 seconds, you don't need, you don't even feel I'm like looking at my arm. Like, you know, yeah. It's like, that doesn't look good. And then it, it really quickly just hits you like a, like a wall. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It really hits you like a, uh, like a brick wall. And 
the worst part was though, you know, I, I'm not good with medical things. I'm, I like faint around, I, I have a hard time even walking into a hospital. And so I went to uh, an orthopedic place uh, right after it happened and they said, okay, so basically, you know, you're gonna have to have it reset. You're not gonna have to have surgery. Uh, we can reset it here, but we don't have any anesthesia or you can go to the hospital, get anesthesia, do the whole process. And I said, no, just, just do it here. I don't want to go, go over there. And he's like, are you sure? I don't know if, if you want to, uh, this type of thing isn't something that, you know, you can just have a high pain tolerance for like bone pain doesn't, you know, there's no tolerance for that. And, uh, I'm like, nope, it's, I just don't want to go to the hospital. And so he, you know, it was this pretty big guy and he, uh, took both hands on my arm and just started slowly twisting it and slowly twisting harder and harder. And I, I, you know, after about 15 seconds i'm like hey man how long are you gonna like twist my arm for and he said well i gotta i was planned on slowly doing it harder and harder for three about three minutes is how long it'll take and i said can you just like snap it in and he said yeah yeah no just just i mean just twist like that and get it aligned he said yeah i can but biggest mistake of my life if you ever have the option to have your arm reset take the anesthesia and don't have them do it really fast because that's the closest I've ever got from just like actually blacking out from pain. You know, like my peripherals, like I like got tunnel vision and like my ears were just ringing and it was actually unbearable. I've broken bones, had concussions, tore things. Nothing compares to that. It was agonizing. I was screaming like a little girl. My, I actually had a buddy that, uh, his dad worked in the same building. He said he could hear me screaming on the oh. floor above him because I was just yelling, bro. Uh, f- 15, 16-ish. Oh. I can't imagine. I've never broken a book. I got hit by a baseball in my nose, and I didn't block out, but I was bleeding a lot, but I've mm-hmm. never broke. I've never felt that much pain. Can you, um, can you describe a little what happened after Oh, they gave me uh, they gave me a pretty large dose of painkillers because it was really inflamed and <clears throat> and I was in a lot of pain. And then I went home and I fell asleep for like 23 hours. I remember waking up and uh, I woke up and it was an hour before I went to sleep. And I'm, uh, I asked my dad, I'm like, why is it two o'clock? And he's like, it's Wednesday. It's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's um. Yeah, I've heard good stories like that, but I, I can't, uh, I can't place that anywhere. But like, uh, <laughs> like uh, I've done a lot of stupid stuff and fallen, and I've been very lucky of not like shattering or like twisting my ankle and not like having to do any surgery on anything. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's a wicked story. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just asking him to. Just yank it. It was yeah because I know I was like I'm I'm not kidding like I'm, I wasn't trying to be tough or thinking that it wasn't gonna, I knew it was gonna hurt. So how much did it hurt when he was just slowly and we just? I mean, it hurt pretty bad, and that's that's why because he was going super slow and he was doing it harder and harder. But even just like touching it hurt because I mean it's a broken bone in your arm and it if you move it at all it it's painful and so I just thought you so know I might as well get it over with. Up completely like snaps one of them was the other one was completely fine so, so you, you, you just have to set it basically just get it back into yeah you set it and then you uh, put
put a splint on it until you can get a cast on there. And then the bone will try to heal. It yeah, it'll just back. like fuse back together. Okay. You can't. It depends on like the way the bone breaks. If you can always do that, sometimes you do have to have like something put in like a screw or a plate if it like fragments or shatters or something like that. But a lot of times for like the bigger bones, at least in my experience, I've broken my ankle, my arms, finger, wrist, and they don't, didn't have to have surgery for them. Yeah, with the bigger bones that I've broken. But yeah, how's that affected your list? Oh, yeah, and then how did um, how was the recovery after that? Uh, you know, the recovery is just. I remember when I when I broke my leg was the most noticeable one because. Okay, tell me about that. I, yeah, I was in fifth grade and uh, I broke it playing football and I was on crutches and you know, little fifth grade me, I didn't have any like upper body strength or muscle mass, so I was going around on the crutches all the time. You know, I finally got some definitions in my arm, but whenever I took the cast off my leg, uh, my right calf was about half the size of my left calf from where I'd just been hopping on that left calf and you know when you're a little kid like that you don't have a lot of muscle mass to begin with so whenever you lose what you do have you look pretty pretty thin so yeah. and that's always funny to see you know every time I get a cast off it's always like really really pale and like skinnier than the other uh, other side of your body and so it's, it's always a, a good laugh to see but it, it it comes back really fast because like muscle memory and stuff like that and so it's it's not really a pain to it's the worst part about the recovery is a mental aspect because even after you get the cast off you know it's like i don't know you kind of got to test the waters with you know what kind of movements and what kind of like weight you want to do with it so and you know the doctor tells you it's safe it's you know it's going to be safe and it's healed but it's it's like a mental thing that you're like, this arm was broken and it's been hurting a lot so now i'm gonna go out and use it and it's kind of you know yeah, yeah. Don't wanna try to max out then no right after you want to build up to a certain conference level mm -hmm. the mental aspect is definitely like challenging in terms of you you know how much you you, you should be able to do like you, you know your mm -hmm. body for the most part right when something catastrophic that like completely derails like your like why why is it like <laughs> like is this ever gonna be whole again? Yeah. Am I ever going to be able to do the same like things at this the the high level that you've been able to do in the past? It it, it some people like don't really handle that very well. Mm -hmm. and, like can you tell me about um, like like recovering like yeah so you know broken bones is one thing I, I think it's a little bit different whenever you're talking about like a torn acl or something like that that's a little bit you know you you pretty much have to have a surgery if you have a bad tear on your acl and even then you know i really don't think you can get back to 100 percent of where you were maybe if you push really hard and you're like a, a top level like athlete you can get back to like 90 95 maybe but there's always that that little bit of doubt in the back of your mind when you're really pushing yourself and, and you're thinking about it even if you think you're giving it your all you know you can have you can be just like a little bit reserved like subconsciously almost because like it, well at least for me because it's just broken bones aren't really you know on my mind because they heal and they feel fine and that was all yeah you don't even notice it if you didn't know it happened no no 
I mean, my maybe I'm just getting old. And my birthday is actually this Saturday. I'm turning 25. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad turned 50. Uh, my birthday's on October 29th. His is September 29th, and I'm turning 25. He just turned 50. So I, I have to give him a hard time about being an, an old man. And he, uh, yeah. So you know, my I don't know if it's just me or where I broke my bones, but my joints and my bones pop a lot. And and like I do know that my right ankle, it's different on different days, but that's the one that I broke. And whenever I walk, some days it's and it's consistent. So some days it's every other step, but there's a tendon in there that sort of slides over a bone and it makes a snapping sound. And so some days it'll be every two steps. It makes a snap. Some days it's every three and some days it doesn't do it at all. But on those days when it's doing that, it's really consistent. And it's, it's, I don't really feel anything, but I can hear it. And it it, it, seriously just, it it just, it just sounds like a snap. And you know, that wasn't my ankle snapping, but it's weird when you hear things in your body or like something happens in your body and you don't notice it until like mm-hmm. you, you see it like if I cut myself and I'm, I'm just bleeding mm-hmm. like I, I don't know until uh, so if someone says like oh you're uh, you gotta or, uh, do you need a bandage and I'm like what yeah. there or like like you said it's it's snapping but you don't feel it at all like mm-hmm. it's weird that like some of the nerves like don't have a, a reaction to your uh, pain receptor yeah and you know a lot of that is it's weird because it's not even i don't even think it's linked to like the severity of it because when i worked in that metal forming plant i remember uh you know unfinished like metal products are extremely sharp and uh, i remember i was it was we had to wear long sleeve shirts jeans have special gloves on steel toe boots and uh, I was leaning up against a, a rack of parts when I was like, I had, I had to time this process over and over and over again. So I was there for a long time. And so I got tired of standing. So I started to lean on, on this thing. And when I leaned off, I just saw blood like on my arm, like running down from, and I had a big cut, like my shirt had blood on it. And uh, I got in cut, but I didn't even feel it when it happened. And luckily it wasn't super deep. I didn't need like stitches or anything, but it was enough to draw blood there. And I didn't even notice it until I was like riding and I saw the discoloration on my shirt. And so it's interesting how like, uh, and a lot of times if you cut yourself with like a, a sharp knife on accident or something, you won't feel it as much as if it was dull and had like drag on your skin. So yeah. the human body's kind of kind of weird like that. Yeah, and everybody's different. It's like how um, how like mechanically and pain tolerance and. Just um, yeah, and it sucks because I definitely do not have a high pain tolerance, but I have experienced a lot of pain. It's not like you can just build up a tolerance, you know. At least I can't, because man, yeah. You just keep on cutting yourself, and then Mm -hmm. you become immune to cuts. Um, No, I've seen memes of being immune to bullets, and you start with a (laughs) twenty-two. Yeah. Was that the same uh, company that you, the guy wanted to interview? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me a little about that job? Yeah, so that was, you know, that was a more of like a lower level type of position. And it was split 50% on a factory floor doing just, uh, sometimes I would time different processes, look for, uh, go talk to the employees because it was a metal forming plant. So a lot of, a lot of things would just be uh, the employees on the, on the factory floor would take apart from a bin 
put it on a on a mount, press a button, take it off, put it in a, in the next bin, and so. Uh, I guess the two biggest things that I did was Ford was bringing a new like prototype part to this uh, place. And so we needed to do a, we wanted to do some research into how we want to make this assembly line. So we called it, we called the project Cardboard City. And I spent a week with two other interns driving around this 1.3 million square foot factory, gathering all the cardboard that we could find. Was it on like a go-kart? Yeah, we had like uh, like the gator that we have here, you know. Yeah, and so we're driving that around, and we got a lot of cardboard. And so what we had to do after that was make, you know, like fake molds or like the type of uh, what the assembly line would look like, but out of cardboard. And then we brought in people... Yeah, and so like we made the entire assembly line for every part that would be there out of cardboard. And we made some mock parts like out of cardboard as well. And then we got five people that worked on the factory one day and we brought them in. We said, okay, yeah, here's your parts. Here's where you take them from and put them and do all, you know, here's the work that you're gonna be doing. And so we'd video it, you know, and then we'd interview them after and be like, hey, how, you know, if you're gonna be doing this same movement for eight hours a day, you know, what is, what can we do here to make it easier on you? Like, how does your body like feel doing this movement? What would feel more natural? And, you know, what would you be able to do for a long period of time? And do you have any opinions on that? And we'd watch, you know, the video from uh, GoPro that we put in there and, you know, we could see something, some movement that may be, you know, redundant or take a lot of time. And, and then the other thing I worked on was consolidating, um, parts from three warehouses into one warehouse and creating like an organizing uh, like system for them and I had to also develop a you know in that warehouse they would then uh, get the part pack it and ship it and so I had to create that line that uh, process flow for them and I just did the layout and some like AutoCAD like uh, yeah, some AutoCAD software. So it was pretty, it was more like industrial engineering, to be honest. Hey, we got off topic about uh, the fitness. So how, how, how are you, what's now? They're pretty good. You know, I still haven't, the most weight I've tried on the barbell bench press is still just like 185, you know, and I got it fine. I did like three reps and just called it there. You know, I just haven't really been pushing myself too much, just trying to get more into the habit of going to the fit, you know, instead of Planet Fitness and using that barbell uh, to get the motion down and the, the feel down. And, you know, I don't want to be sore just in like my stabilizer muscles and like on, like, I want to be able to do 135 to where it fatigues my actual, you know, pec muscle. Yeah. yeah. Right, because like I'm feeling like sore in my shoulders and like this bridge right here and and sort of like around the edges. So the the muscle there to actually push push the weight, I have that. I just need uh, everything else around it to catch up to that, and then I can start you know trying to actually go for heavy lifts and increasing my strength. You know. Yeah, because when you're um, doing uh, smith machine, mm -hmm. like it really stabilizes it for you, so they're getting developed a lot more than. Uh, your pack is going to be more developed than your stabilizers. So right. when you're back at a barbell, it has to basically catch up mm -hmm. all your stabilizers. So 
there's a there's a level of uh, homeostasis where your packs are going to be as strong as your stabilizers, and, and you can start putting on the, the big weight. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't recommend trying to no Smith machine and then oh I'm going to go I, I'm going to do a three fifteen on the Smith machine and then do a three fifteen with a free weights. Mm -hmm. And even like going from barbell to dumbbells, like that's a pretty big step. Like I right now I can go close to two twenty five and when I do dumbbells, I, I can't I can't do over a hundred pound dumbbells. Like it's, yeah, it's uh, massive. Yeah, dumbbells are, are super hard, especially when you get to 70 plus pounds, you know, then it starts, you really got to like focus on keeping them steady. And it's just some, something about it, you know, 135 pounds on a barbell is a lot easier to press than two, uh, like 70 pound dumbbells. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because they're not connected and your stabilizers are having to do even more or, or what, but it's definitely a noticeable difference. Uh, that's something that probably Dr. Anton would know a lot more because he, like, he works with like the uh, the medical. Oh yeah, that's right. So, there's some medical engineering, like mechanical engineering stuff that he working on, like the, that uh, piezoelectric um, sensor for the uh, the tip of her uh, femur. But yeah, that was I don't know. It's being in, uh, interested in fitness is something that I, I appreciate. Mm. Someone to talk to you that's like engineer because like I don't know there's some like stereotype that you have to be some pencil neck and yeah. scrawny nerd Zufe's been working out a lot too you know he's actually getting uh, pretty strong and he's taking it seriously with like his diet and his uh, workout routine so <laughs> he told me about his diet like uh, one of the things that he makes mm -hmm. and I know he, he wants to cut out most of the carbs and the sugar and I don't know I, I went out with lunch with him on last Saturday mm -hmm. and he, he was like oh everything has carbs in it so don't feel bad <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say anything I'm terrible I never do dieting you know I eat generally pretty healthy because my girlfriend and I we cook dinner almost every night and uh, like last night I had baked chicken thighs and broccoli asparagus and carrots so I mean that's like super healthy but it's not because I'm trying to be it's just because I like those foods you know which is fortunate for me I guess yeah yeah uh, rice or mm -mm. any of pasta no but you know don't get me wrong i i do make spaghetti and meatballs and i don't think college students are, are that disciplined yeah, yeah. like when you're i don't know when you're 20 you you 20 25 so are mm -hmm. you starting to feel you know your metabolism and all your, your bones starting to feel a little harder to i feel it in my bones for sure i don't i don't know about you know my metabolism because i have a hard time you know putting on weight as opposed to keeping weight off and uh so if i don't eat just a ton i'll just not gain any weight and it's it's a pain so i i sort of have to force feed myself a lot to try and you know gain weight but i do take uh, uh I, I drink a protein shake every time after i work out just for soreness and to get a little bit of protein in there so uh, my protein has creatine in it. It has five milligrams of creatine per serving. So, I mean, that's really, yeah, that's, that's enough. Yeah. yeah. That's, so, yeah, like I said, I would appreciate talking about the gym. I'll talk, probably talk to Zufay about his fitness routine. Like, what do you, uh, what is your uh, weekly? Uh, See, that's another thing. I don't even have a routine. I'm, I'm a terrible, uh, you know, uh, role model for Zufay because he'll ask me a bunch of questions about working out and I'll, I'll tell him Zufay don't if you, I, are you his teacher like did you not start before you 
he started before me, but he does ask me some things about it. But he, you know, like I don't really work out my legs that much. You know, you know, it doesn't. Really <laughs> yeah, but you know, since I'm shorter, you know, my my legs are, are decently thick, and so I'm I'm well proportioned. You know, so it doesn't look weird. If it looked weird, you know, then I would I would work them out. But so you, do you not hit them at all, or do you just not? So I'll do some like I do running and then like stadiums sometimes out here and the stair stepper for cardio. So I try and do cardio that activates the muscles more than uh, you know just running. Like, but no, I guess I would say no. <laughs> yeah, if I'm being honest. Um, I, I remember dropping a T25 on my spotter when I was, in, I was playing football and mm. <laughs> after that I was like yeah I really don't like doing legs either well it's like I go through phases of having a specific muscle group that I like to work and I know it's like super inefficient and kind of dumb to do it that way but it's like would I rather have this routine that you know is well balanced and is probably the most efficient to gain muscle and be healthy or would I like to go to the gym whenever I want to have a good time and get big chests and arms you know well, yeah, and you know, when I, when I look at it, you know, when am I going to just squat 400 pounds, you know, like, yeah. I started doing them again just because uh, I think it's fun to mm-hmm. push heavy weight, but. Oh, in, in high school, I, I could, you know, I was, at one point, I don't know what point this was, but I distinctly remember my, I couldn't bench press 135, but I could squat three plates because I played a lot of soccer growing up and lacrosse as well. And so those are just running the whole time. Oh, yeah. And uh, from that, my legs were just way, way more developed than my upper body. Yeah, it's funny. Those mm-hmm. two sports, and even football is like mostly like you see football players they they do that at the combine the mm-hmm. twenty five as many times as they can, but it's almost all legs. Yeah, no, there it's super important just to be able to drive with your legs in in pretty much all sports, and so I think that's. That sort of, you know, and I used to like working out my legs. I liked working out my lower body more than my upper body. But then, you know, I got out of sports. And I'm like, well, why do I need these things to be so strong? I need my arms to be stronger. Oh, now you're that guy in a wheelchair with mm-hmm. the, the jacked mm-hmm. uh, pose. But you have, like, the, the matrix legs that you never Hey, man, who needs them, you know? Yeah. yeah. What, what position did you play in football? Cornerback and receiver. Because I was, uh, you know, pretty skinny, like I said, but, like, fast. And, so that was my go-to position. I was just really good at tackling because I was so small. You know, I wouldn't try and just like ego challenge people and like hit them up high. I would always dive at their ankles and I wrap them up every time. And you know, I got ran over and just plowed a bunch. But man, my coach, he loved it. He was like, "That's how you play football." Nice. So, did uh, do you think your concussions have been any uh, detriment to your your brain? Hard to say. You know. Because I don't really, because since it's my brain, you know, there's not really, like, what standard do I use to evaluate that? You know, like, how do I tell what is just me as a, as a person and what is affected by, you know, that concussion? Yeah, so it's hard for me to understand. I feel like my memory is kind of garbage but i don't know if that's just because i don't i don't know if that's three three only i had two severe ones one was in uh, high school and i remember i actually tackled someone but i had caught up to them and i don't know exactly how it happened but i basically pulled them back on top of me and their butt 
landed on my helmet and then my helmet landed on the ground and so like it all three hit at the perfect time yeah and i got a concussion from that and i i was the one calling the plays on defense and so i was out for probably like only five seconds but i completely blacked out and then someone like like was grabbing me and pulled me up and then they put me in the huddle and i'm just kind of like looking around and they said okay what's the play and i'm like i don't know and then i played another play and i was just kind of standing around hoping they didn't they didn't run the ball to my side so the receiver came out to like just block me because they just ran it up the middle and so then i just ran off the field and talked to the coach and I just said hey man I don't know what's going on I don't know where I am so no one even like acknowledged that you were out for five seconds Mm -mm. Uh, well you know you're in the pads and stuff and so my and your eyes can be like open when that happens and you're just like unconscious but yeah that was a pretty messed up one and another one was in uh middle school I got hit in the head with like a with a baseball bat like on a on a backswing it was an accident oh, so were, like like we were we were just warming up messing around because i also i played baseball uh did you have a on? in middle school yeah yeah but it's still you know it it, it like shakes you and yeah. hits you so like it was just me and this other guy swinging our bats get, getting ready for batting practice and uh i guess i i he was facing like one way I was facing the other way and I backed into him and whenever he followed through on a swing he caught me in the head in the back of it so and then that one the doctor made me wear like sunglasses afterwards mm-hmm. and what, were you out oh yeah I was I was knocked unconscious for that one that one was like about probably 10 seconds you know I, I've never been unconscious for like minutes or hours yeah. you know yeah, those, uh, they catch up on you, and especially uh, repeated concussions. Mm-hmm. If you go back in the game and you get another one, like, right after yeah. you're out, it, it, that does a lot of damage. That's why I quit playing football. And what, uh, what year? Sophomore year, yeah. yeah. So I played my freshman and sophomore year, and then I didn't play anymore after that. I kept playing lacrosse because that's a little, you know, a little bit less just slamming heads into each other. But it's, it's, you still, yeah. when boys play, yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah, but you're not just like tackling each other. You get, at least you have a, a stick to like whack them with, you know? Oh, yeah, and, you get a weapon. Yeah, so, and I never got hit in the head by anything in lacrosse. So that was, that was nice. Yeah. That's one thing that I keep on thinking about is um, I, I've never been out, out playing football. Mm-hmm. And I just keep thinking about engineers that, like, they need their head mm-hmm. like, they, to make their money to, to do their jobs. And so <laughs> if I think about, like, if I want to do, uh, like, Muay Thai or if I want to do, I don't know, any other, like, rock climbing, like, mm-hmm. is it worth not wearing a helmet or sparring with some guy if, if I get knocked unconscious or, like, my memories goes or my, my faculties goes. <laughs> yeah, but then on the other hand, you know, you don't want to let that type of thing dictate what you really want to do. If you really wanted to do those things, I'd say do them, you know, just because if it does affect, you know, your mind in a negative way, there's, I mean, that's obviously always a chance of it happening, but it just depends on how badly you want to do it. And if you really are passionate about something, then... Well, forget the consequences. Yeah, you can just that the advice. Like I started doing um, climbing at the wall at, um, at the rec center and um, started driving like, mm-hmm. like race cars and 
don't know, you, you, when you're when you're in like one thing that I really enjoy about those things is it brings you into the present. Like I don't know if you're into like meditation or anything, but um, the presentness that being in um, a sport that requires your absolute attention, like there's nothing like it. Like being in the zone mm-hmm. or um, in the flow state at it okay. is really at a level where your attention is being pushed, but it's not over uh, overloaded, but it's also not too boring. So it's like the perfect amount of challenge versus um, effort. And I really don't think about the consequences of what I'm going over 100 miles an hour mm-hmm. and I'm, 50 feet in the air it really mm-hmm. is uh something that um it's like it's basically just meditation like you're you're there's nothing else that you're thinking about other than the present moment mm-hmm. are you into moments? Like so I'm not too knowledgeable about, you know, meditation and I'm not going to pretend to be, uh, I know a lot of people like that, uh, sort of thing and not, it, I understand that it doesn't have to be traditional meditation where you sit there with your legs crossed and your eyes closed and you're just being quiet and introspective. It can be, you know, meditation in my opinion can be things that you're just really, really drawn into and that you can focus on and focus on only that, you know, and that sort of thing. I, I like, you know, I've, I've been getting into golf lately. Oh, yeah. And so I'm very bad at golf as, you know, it's not, not an easy game it and it is very frustrating, but man, you have one, one good hole in golf, not even a, a good game of golf. Like for me, if I have one good hole, it can make the entire, entire day that I, I play golf. So it's about finding things, you know, you know, it is challenging and I know that I'm bad, but it's one of those things that whenever I do well at it and, and, you know, play it, you know, especially with my friends, I have a good time doing it and it feels rewarding and nice even, and just doing well one time can get rid of the frustration of doing bad on 17 other holes, you know? So. Especially when you're drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to go go around. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm not that into golf. Uh, that's, but I, I we did have a at my co-op a like a company thing for the top golf nearby. Mm-hmm. That that was always fun to go to every once in a while. Yeah, when we went to Atlanta for the conference, uh, me, Sachin, Zufe, and and Max and Brandon went to uh, a top golf there. And it's, are they any good or not at all? Uh, Max would probably be the only person that could do pretty well. You know. But I think Max is the only one that actually has really played golf. I mean, Zufay's never played golf before going there. So I can't blame someone for never playing golf and then not being good at hitting a golf ball because it is not the type of sport you can just pick up and, and no. do. No, this is a, just so much technique. Into like, I, I, I can't even, like, like, barely get the ball off the ground. I'm, like, yeah. <laughs> trying to hit it with a baseball. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I, I can't even talk about it because I'm not good at all. I'm probably as bad as Zufay. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been like two, two hours. Yeah. So. And time um, flies. Well. Is there anything you want to talk about, or are you good? Um, probably, probably wraps it up for me. You know, yeah. thanks for having me, though. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the, being the first person on, and also, um, is there anything you want to plug, or can I uh, use your uh, paper or like uh, show some some of the links? Them. Sure. Yeah, that'd be fine. You know, they may not be published just yet at the time of okay. recording this, uh, because you know, even after you present them at a conference, it can take 
several months to have them uh, published. Yeah, all right. Sounds good.